0: Hello everyone and welcome to a new episode of University College Utrecht Campus Chats. My name is Kim Switzersloot. I'm one of the lecturers at UCU. I teach economics. I'm also one of the tutors and responsible for our international recruitment. And I'm here today with Patrick Weigers, who's one of our biology professors as well as one of our tutors. Welcome Patrick.
1: Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: <laughs> yeah, thank you for coming on. Um so the idea of the interview is really to sort of get an overview of how did you end up in the field of research that you ended up in. um, What what did you do there? What are you doing in terms of teaching now at UCU? And sort of how that touches the rest of your life as well. So to go back to the very, very basics. Sorry?
1: I should know those answers.
0: I hope so. (laughs) Uh, So to go back to the very, very basics, um, you were born in the Netherlands, in in Brabant. Yes. And uh, at some point you decided to go to university to study biology why that why biology
1: yeah well I, I technically, technique wasn't even biology okay so, um, so i come from a family where nobody ever went to university um nobody has been going to university since um, um i went to primary school with uh, you know, large amounts of uh, farmers kids um so I, I, was, I was just you know a bit naive about it all right so and I noticed that I liked watching, you know, biology documentaries, particularly when it was about, you know, operations in hospital and stuff. I love that, you know, corey <laughs> yeah. stuff, I love that. So I thought, you know, I want to become an orthopedia, orthopedia, what do you call that? Well, whatever, um, you know, with bones, just you know, really doing that, those type of things. And I was, you know, I was uh, you know, reasonably clever. So if you like, you know, the human body, you want to become a medic. Right? Yeah. so until I was 17 I thought I was going to become a medic and then I went to the open days and started really investigating what it really meant and it was very quickly clear that no 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 I'm interested in the human body but I don't yeah. you know just talking to these people every day the say hey, uh, you know just you know doing your doing your thing doing your list you know and I, that was not for me but then I had to suddenly think about okay what do I want to do then yeah uh, because i was just convinced that that was what was going to happen and then i went to uh, an opening of um uh, was it health sciences mm-hmm. but that was way too community focused you know society focused and then i went actually to look here at medical biology here in Utrecht, mm-hmm. but that is you know started mainly about mice and all that and that that was clearly a step too big for me at that yeah. point and so i was talking there to some people and they said you know you should have uh, you should check out Naime, where they had biomedical health sciences and she said that's a bit in between so like in between that sounds good yeah and um so that's where I went indeed and uh, you know maybe you know there was not no ucu yet um but with hindsight you know, i always said if i wouldn't be doing this i would be a, a history teacher
0: so, oh that's very different
1: yeah you yeah, and I love geography and I, uh, I actually was quite good at economics as well um but yeah I didn't have anything really thought about it because I was going to be a medic so never really even considered the other things so um so yeah so I went to NIME Environmental Health Sciences and to be honest um I was not the most motivated student um I was um I didn't, I, I considered quitting in the first year already. Had some personal problems as well. Parents getting divorced, stuff like that. And uh, but at some point, you know, I, I continued.
0: It's because what was that, that first year? Because um, you were the first person in university, in your family to go to university. Yeah. Um, so what was that first year like? Because that must've been a culture shock in some ways. At least I, I know it was for me. I'm also a first generation student. Was yeah. A different world.
1: You know, I did go to here which you know, you could also say should belong to Brabant, right? I mean, <laughs>
0: firstly, tell them that,
1: yeah. Brabant, so that's you know, that might have helped that the you know, it's a it's quite a you know, a socialist city, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, so it's not a place where you needed to be in a fraternity to have a good social life, lots mm-hmm. of things organized anyway. So, so it's very easy to just do things your own tempo,
0: yeah.
1: Thing that helped but personally so I have a brother and sister who are 10 years older yeah. mm-hmm. so half and half sister and they kind of so I was socially I was very mature and um, uh, very confident mm-hmm. so for me things like introduction was well, ha, you know just put me in with some people I don't know and you know I love okay. that so all these meeting new people in the beginning so I, I, I really had no problem with that and I was yeah not not a bad cook so that was not a problem so so i yeah i I think i relied a lot on that but i did notice um that some of my friends always knew about all these opportunities that i had been thought about right so yeah before they knew it before they were in committees and uh, later also they they found out about programs i just I, i didn't know better than to just do what they offer and that was it so so I, I, I was very naive in that sense and I, I, and I later also during my research career I also noticed that it yeah you know, that it's really hard if you don't have all those connections and really you don't want nobody to to really spar about these things with yeah um, but also yeah I wasn't a very good student either I was really you know I finding out about myself and social life what do I want so um, but I passed the first year so okay I,
0: and and what made the difference for you what helped you in, in making it regardless of, of everything that was going on and all the difficulties you were facing
1: um well i very much liked to be independent mm-hmm. uh, certainly a thing um yeah and i think what i what i was so um i was let's say my participation grades were always great if yeah. they had existed they didn't but um <laughs> yeah um, if I was in class, I would really make the most of it. You know, I would be the one volunteering to be chairing the working group, not because I was so good at it uh, or that I knew the material that much. Sometimes I just hadn't done the homework, and then I was like, "Hey, I'll just better become the a, a chair because then I have control of where the discussion goes, and I can." Uh, <laughs> I, know. I will certainly learn much about it. So. Um, um, but we also just have some people that we always, you know, we'd go to the library with. So quite a balanced group. Um, but I also I have to be honest, I never aim for high grades. I just, yeah, did you just want to graduate? You know I and mean? then, yeah. yeah, I think everybody will recognize that, you know, some courses I really liked and there I did well. But, yeah. And, and I was lucky that, you know, we had retakes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Unlike at UCU. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and I had a, as a, my first year, but at some point, my second year and my third year, I had a. I basically did these pharma research projects for money, right? So I would go and uh, yeah, you know, would stay in some place. So, so you it, you
0: then take the uh, medication, medication the
1: environment, you know, they they check everything you do when you pee, how much you pee, what you eat, yeah. how many, yeah. and then two weeks later you get the placebo or the the real thing, yeah. and then you have to eat exactly the same thing, right? But um so it was easy money, but also you know, I was there for three days anyway. So I always put an exam after that. I, I had good grades.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: So I, I guess I was clever in life. Yeah. Uh, I think that made a difference for me.
0: Yeah. And figuring out what, what to prioritize. Like, what do I need to do? Yeah, absolutely. And
1: distinguishing you know, the really important things from the details. I think that's something that, that worked for me.
0: And then at some point, because you were studying biomedical sciences and I assume that at some point you really clicked and I was like, okay, yeah, I really want to do this for the rest of my life because then you continue with a PhD in Utrecht, right?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I've been, yeah, like I said, I wanted to quit at some point. I thought I wanted to really contribute. I wanted to work with people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm comfortable around people. And I was, I was afraid, and I know some students in my courses also fear that, that as a, you know, when you go into the lab, that you just it's just you and the land you and your yeah. mind and yourselves and I was a bit afraid of that um but in the end i did a i did a career test um to see whether I should really quit and guess what came out i should do biomedical sciences or become a <laughs> teacher that was also yeah clear
0: oh good that's a good career test
1: yeah no in the end yeah you know, the, the, the test was a good test i, I think we, um so I continued, but still I was not never really overexcited until at some point we started, we were doing internships, right? So, um, and I did, I did a, yeah, I did two majors, so I did two, that was not because it was so hard or, you know, it's just, you know, I, I like those two fields and you could choose and how much internships you want to do. Yeah. And if you did two majors, you could do two long internships. And I figured, you know, that's going to be more valuable to me. And that's when I noticed that, that you know, I actually quite like that, you know, to work on a project, it's really your thing, it really goes as wild as you want, being surrounded by motivated people, um, yeah, I quite like that. Um, and then my, my second internship, I went to uh, Edinburgh, mm-hmm. uh, and that's where you could confront it with really genetics properly, gene- research in genetics, and I got really excited there. There, I really love that. And, you know, they offered me a job and uh, started a PhD there, but I already, i was already with my current wife back then. Yeah. She said, you know, if you go there, if you stay there, then, you know, it's not going to happen. Right? this is where it ends. And so I thought, I can do PhD in the Netherlands. Yeah. So, but it was really at that time where, I like, hey, I actually quite like this. And uh, I think I can do this. And then again, you know, it, you know, you just do a PhD again, I was still very naive, uh, never really considered so carefully where I was going to do my PhD. I ended up in the a, in a, um, what's now called, I think, Brain Center Rudolf Magnus here in Utrecht. Yep. Uh, so what was it? It was neuroscience. very much molecular right i'm a molecular biologist that's what i guess myself so everything with dna and cells and development and these type of things so um again yeah i never i never really felt comfortable in the first year struggled a lot with my supervisor but at some point i think it was about halfway maybe a bit further i went to i found i discovered something and I saw a link with something happening in Gs. I was working on mice. So we were looking at those neurons that die in Parkinson's disease. And we yeah. were to say, can we find out anything that's special about them that really might explain why these neurons die, mm-hmm. but, uh, the neurons lying next to them don't, right? Well, what What could that be? Um, to be fair, I would have loved to just clone genes also from the large toe. It would have been equally interesting to me. Yeah. I wasn't particularly interested in the brain. I was just interested in the molecular mechanisms of things in, uh, during development. But I saw a link with something in, 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 in yeast. I didn't know anything about yeast. So I went to a conference about yeast and uh, oh, that was very much about it was cell division in cancer. And I got all kinds of ideas there, what I could do. And uh, you know, I got really inspired. And I met some people there in the world, very nice, and professors in the field. And I went skiing with them. as was one of these, these Keystone conferences. I can recommend them to anyone. Um, and I went back and I convinced my supervisors that you know, this is what I want to do. And this is what I would like to do. And they said, you know, do some preliminary experiments and pilots. If it's all consistent with what you're saying, then you get the freedom to develop that. And yeah. uh, it worked so um and that's what i noticed. hey if i'm in charge really of my own ideas uh, i can't really excited.
0: yeah
1: so and that's i think that's the moment for me now that i can really do this yeah. and then i was I, I wrote my first paper you know well i wrote my thesis and my supervisor was like oh wow did you hardly have to change anything so i was clearly yeah. I was a good writer yeah uh, again it's about you know distinguishing important parts from the detail is something that I, I managed quite well um so yeah so my PhD was not very special or you know not could not or anything not even close um and with hindsight also thinking oh it wasn't I wasn't the best student but I did grow a lot there yeah and I learned I really used that time also to think about okay you know why, why is why was it not such a success you know mm-hmm. what are others doing different So the next stage I really took very carefully and then uh, I went to the UK for three and a half years Yeah. and um, I really carefully selected a lab. I traveled around first to a number of labs, really considered what I want, what I was looking for, what would I need to succeed Um, and then it took me off and then I, I loved every minute of it. Cool. From that moment on, yeah.
0: Because what was your postdoc about? Because this was at Imperial College, I think, correct? Right?
1: Yes. Yeah. What um, was, yeah, I was at an institute called, uh, yeah. So in the UK, they have these medical research councils. And this was, and they all have their dedicated topic. But this was part of Imperial College. And there I was studying. So you have to imagine that when I started my PhD, the human genome was not sequenced yet. Yeah. So during...
0: What my- year was that again? When was the first sequencing? Uh, 2001.
1: Yeah, so when at the start we didn't have that. Um, so this is a very exciting time. So I actually cloned new genes. genes that we didn't know about yet, right? And now we look at the database. Yeah. So one of the striking findings during the time was that 19% of our genomes does not code for proteins. And we don't have more genes than worms. hmm And I was like, oh my God, how is that possible? What is other 98% doing, right? That's what I got really excited about. So that's what I've been focusing on. Uh, You know, there's all kinds of repeats in the genome. So about 60, 70% is repetitive DNA that doesn't really code for anything important as it seems. But are remnants from viral infections, you know, millions of years of evolution? What are they doing and how do they control? You know which gene express because that was always that was the most interesting thing that still is to me how is it possible that all your cells kim can take mm-hmm. the same dna yeah and you start up with one fertilized cell yeah how can it become all these different things how does that work yeah and that's what i was really interested in so i needed to know what all the other 98 was doing and that's what i was focusing on um, yeah from that moment on, really. So in London, it was more focused about you know, the protein and the repeats. And after three and a half years, because my wife was staying still in the Netherlands, she's a pediatrician, so she couldn't just, you know, she said she did part of her training in London for half for a year, but, so I was traveling up and down every month. But at some point, you know, it became too much. So I came back and I started at the Ubrecht Institute and there we were really looking into, yeah, how is it possible that, so if you would unfold the DNA of one single cell can, mm-hmm.
0: two meters long. I know. Yeah. How does how, that fit? How, how <laughs>
1: that fit, right? And what's even more, it's not like all that DNA is just tossed in there in that nucleus as a bowl of spaghetti, right? There's such level, complex levels of organization even in there. The position of a gene in the nucleus determines whether it's going to be switched on or off. How weird is that, right? So, so that's what I was studying. in those yeah six years after that. Um, and then in 2015, I started here.
0: Okay. And and how has, because if you look at the field, which you indeed mentioned, so much has changed there in the last 20 years in terms of the knowledge that we have. Um, what have been like the biggest ba- breakthroughs in those 20, 25 years?
1: Um, well, I guess, you know, uh, you, you must have heard of epigenetics, right?
0: Uh, I'm not sure what it is. To no, be- exactly. Not everybody has heard
1: about it, but yeah. you know, most people don't really know what it means. I always explain it um, as you know, see that you know, your DNA is your script, your genome is your script, right? Yeah. But if you give the script to one director or the other, mm-hmm. one will make a great movie out of it, the other a lousy one, right? That yeah. Why is that? Because it's about what you do with the script. yeah That's happening in your cells as well. So uh, and that's what epigenetics is about. So genetics is about you know, your DNA, mm-hmm. epigenetics is about all changes. To that DNA, but that doesn't change the sequence of the DNA. Okay. Like I say, the position of a gene in the nucleus influences it. It's epigenetics. The you know proteins can leave marks on specific pieces of DNA. It Doesn't change the DNA itself. The letters yeah. are still the same, but now suddenly it's read in a different way. Yeah. Right. So it's really it's kind of like if you make notes in your in your book. So right, you 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 keep notes in your textbook when you're in class. It's all those notes. you know, what do you do with it? That's what epigenetics is about. And it tells us how to use our genomes. And that explains how, you know, um, in, uh, in, in bees, you know, the queen bee has exactly the same DNA as uh, worker bees. Yeah. But still there's such a difference, it's epigenetics, yeah. right? That, that royal jelly that, that she's fed contains all kinds of proteins that change these epigenetics. Yeah. But that's really what it is about.
0: So in a way, it's like epigenetics can explain how the same DNA can lead to different kinds of.
1: Yeah, it explains why, why identical twins are not yeah. identical. Right, the genomes are, but but there is influence from the environment from your experiences. Yeah. Examples from you know from model organisms in mice, for instance, where, um, you know, certain fears. Um, are pa- can even be passed on to next generations, right? There's, so there's all kind of things. There's you know the famous hunger winter examples where, yeah. you know, children who are born from mothers in the hunger winter, um, and their their offspring are still have a higher chance of being obese. Right? Yeah. Right? How does that work? So that's all related to epigenetics.
0: Okay. And if you um. I mean, you've seen a lot of research over your own life as well. Is there one that you particularly enjoyed or that made a really big impression? Not necessarily your own work, but of, of others as well? Um,
1: well, yeah, I would, I would, yeah, no, I think, um, um, so for, for, well, for youngs, we thought that during development, right? The cell, sorry, during development, right? So there are these stem cells, you probably put yeah. stem cells, they can still become everything they want. And then they make a first decision, right? Do I want to become a brain cell or do I want to become a cell in the gastrointestinal tract? Yeah. right. But then that, that that what we call those progenitor cells. It still has to decide what type of brain cell it wants to be. Right. But one thing is certain, it will not become a liver cell anymore. Yeah. Right. Again, that has to do with these epigenetics, right? basically, um, the genes that are not required by the neuron anymore because why would you want to express a liver gene is switched off right? yeah. so we always thought you know you could never turn a liver cell anymore into a brain cell
0: yeah
1: and then in 2006 there was a guy named yamanaka and he showed that um it is possible to just take a skin cell from you and yeah and revert that really back into the most basic stem cell that still can become anything you want.
0: Wow, yeah.
1: So that really upset the whole thinking about, you know, yeah. how genes are regulated, you know, the thing about epigenetics, but also you can imagine, you know, what you can do with that. So you can just take a skin cell from yeah. a human patient and, this, and look what happens when we would, you know, we would take it back to and yeah. see what happens during development. Where does it go wrong? Yeah. Or we can maybe test Drugs on these, you know, on cells from a patient. Uh, yeah. Right. There's all these ethical um, issues with with working with human embryonic stem cells, for instance. Yeah. We don't need them that much anymore, right? Because we can just convert regular cells into these types of cells. Yeah. Ish, I should say. They're not hundred percent, ninety-nine point yeah. nine 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 percent identical. But there still might be some runs, but that really changed the field, right? That's, we are thinking about yeah. this building, and also think, think about therapies and future therapies, right? So the idea that you can just take a cell from a patient, right? So there was always this idea that well, we can maybe, you know, regrow kidneys, right, and give that back to uh, to people. Yeah. Uh, but there's you know always uh, well. There was, of course, uh, you could do that when people give kidneys, right, to their family yeah. members because you have to have this, you cannot have rejection, right? Yeah. So there's a problem with immunology. Well, if you can grow a kidney from the cells, from the patient, then there can be no rejection. Yeah. Right? So there's all these advantages that are there that really has changed our thinking about, how to do, you know, in ways of potential treatments in the future. Yeah. I think that would be arguably the biggest one. You won a Nobel Prize a couple of years later. And um, I don't think anybody disagreed.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, okay, this is a little bit of a sidetrack question. So if you don't have an answer to it, that's perfectly fine. But these insights, of course, have had a huge influence on popular culture as well. In particular, if you look at science fiction movies or science fiction books. I have no idea whether you ever um, read or watch those. But is there any where you say, oh, they got it, they got it right? Okay. you don't necessarily need to answer just something i'm thinking no, about.
1: Yeah, no, no yeah no I, I i usually don't watch those things because okay well i sometimes watch something because i think you know hey it's on Netflix, so my students will be watching it and so i should know what what's wrong with it um, and i think that's also part of the problem where a lot of people are you know let's say lay people mm-hmm. uh, are um it's scared of all this technology that's going on because it's just misportrayed in 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 movies and in series, um, and that's really I think that's really terrible, right? Because that's why that might help to explain why there's not that much faith in 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 science. Yeah, where scientists are not believed.
0: Because what would be misportrayed usually? What do they usually get wrong?
1: Well, just you know. You know, things like, uh, you know, in the genetically modified organisms are always a good one, right? So I mm-hmm. um, was watching this, this, this crop series, German series on Netflix, and it had a, a, a green fluorescent mouse walking around. Yeah. Now you can make a green fluorescent mouse. That's not hard. Well, I can easily do that. Yeah. But it doesn't walk around being fluorescently green. No, you have to really, you know, do something with the mouse to make it green, right? Just yeah. All these things, it's just silly, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's usually right? yeah. It's usually, so it's usually not that bad, although it's always overdramatized. You know, yeah, many things that are not possible. Most yeah. of things, you know, you know, you think now with sequencing and now, of course, you must have heard of CRISPR cats, right? I and mean, you can know, all this this genome editing. It's mm-hmm. fairly easy. A few years ago, this Chinese doctor decided to um, to well, he said, help. Yeah. To children, to twins of HIV positive parents by genetically altering their genomes. And uh, that immediately people are afraid that now, you know, we're going to have selection for intelligent people. And, you yeah. Know, you you yeah. can on certain genes like that. At the moment, there is no reason to believe that that's well, at all possible. Yeah. Um, because things are just really, really complex.
0: Yeah. You can never say never. No, but like, it, it's yeah.
1: already afraid of it, and you know. But the same way, people are afraid that if I eat a genetically modified tomato, yeah. you know, will that change me in any way? Yeah. You no, know, the answer is no. Yeah. Um, you know, you can debate whether you want to eat it, whether it's desirable that we do this. Yeah. But fear that it will change your DNA. No, and it's the same with the Corona. Uh, yeah. With the vaccines, right? People are saying kind of things. Really, it's, no. Reason.
0: Yeah. Because how do these ones work? Because you, of course, have the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccines. They use a new technology called RNA, or I say new, but it's been around for a bit, I understand. How exactly does that work? Because that's different from before, where you would take a little bit of the actual virus and inject it, right?
1: Yes, yeah. So I I have to say that at some point, I decided to not follow all the things about corona anymore because it frustrated me. Um, so, But um, the idea was what this Pfizer is. vaccine for instance is different so um, so it, it, yeah so it contains it's a vaccine made of RNA so RNA so so is, this principle is that we have DNA mm-hmm. DNA is in the, but is in the cell nucleus right yeah. so if DNA and that codes for proteins well, that's really what it's all about but, yeah. but proteins are made in outside the nucleus so there's a molecule that basically carries the message of DNA of the code into the uh in, outside the nucleus so that it can be translated. Right? Yeah. I would say DNA is let's say your, your recipe book. Yeah. RNA is the printout from web or whatever website you use, right? That's the printout. This is the recipe, this is what we're going to make. Yeah. Proteins are the lasagna or whatever you yeah. make. Right. Um, so what they do is they inject RNA as part of the and the RNA will be translated by the host cells. Yeah. yeah into a a protein that can be found on the surface of the virus. Yeah. All right, so only that protein. But if your body comes across the virus, the first thing it comes across is that protein anyway. Yeah. So so regular immunity would result from being in touch with that protein and then create antibodies for it. Yeah. Uh, And here what you're doing is um yeah so they inject the rna codes for the protein and the protein will be recognized again as foreign and antibodies will be made without the virus actually being there okay. and,
0: that,
1: and then the next time you know the virus comes around the antibody is already there Yeah. and, uh, and can make it
0: because the protein basically stops the virus from interacting too much with rest of your body the antibodies do. yeah. The antibodies Antibodies are also protein but those yeah. proteins are
1: made by the body themselves um Whereas uh, uh, the virus, it's an RNA virus, but it has a code, and it's the code that really makes it that it's in fact. So the code really explains why some viruses um, infect uh, some animals and others not. Yeah. Why it infects certain cells and others not, right? So um, yeah, it's really those proteins that determine which cells are infected. So HIV targets different cells, yeah um, because it's you know, there's other proteins on there
0: yeah okay okay well to circle back to basically uh, your career because you came back indeed to utrecht after you returned from london worked at the Hubrecht lab for a little bit and then at some point you decided to move to university college utrecht and actually shift your focus so your focus used to be predominantly on research and now it's much more on teaching why that change
1: well, it's a, it, you know, it's good. To, it's not something that I enjoy. Uh, that I enjoyed at the time. It, only, it was a very tough period for me, to be honest. So I was there six years. I really, I really, absolutely loved science and being a scientist. And I, you know, there are certain elements that I really missed. It's just that you know, it's so competitive. There is so little money. And particularly for fundamental research i was doing very fundamental research i remember a friend of mine you know we started at the same time and after 12 years of well basically from start to scratch after 12 years he said yeah, he was interested in tumor immunology so he really wanted to um, fight cancer so he yeah. and he said you know i feel like in 12 years i haven't got any further to any drug against cancer and i was like I've been in for 12 years, loved every minute of it, because I was just curious. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. I've learned so
1: much. Um, so I was there. I was in it for, some, for a real different reason. Uh, yeah. But, you know, it's become, it became more and more important that everything had to be translated into something useful. So I was writing grants and then come out with ridiculous things, you know, to possibly make it, you know, valorizations. Yeah. I didn't care about it. And I remember I was reading uh, the, a, a book at the time, maybe you've read *The Fountainhead* by Ayn Rand.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. of course, yeah.
1: yeah. Exactly right. So, you know, objectivism, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I wouldn't say I necessarily love the, love the love that part about it, but I was inspired by Howard work right, the, the the protagonist who who decides to do things his way. Mm -hmm. if it's the hard way but he doesn't want to compromise on his principles
0: yeah
1: and I was reading that at that time when I was really thinking about yeah should I really go stay in science like this and I was like no I don't think so I don't want to compromise on it so but yeah but it just it's so it was so competitive at some point you know the grant options became less and less. so so I decided no I really need to do something else but yeah that was a tough year for me, to be honest. I really had to get used to. it. I thought, you know, I was going to be a PI and you know, a professor, yeah. and that's 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 the only thing I can do. Yeah. Um, so I took it took me a year to really get over that. To really think, okay, what am I going to do? Yeah. Um, and you know, I was always very broadly interested, so I, I wrote, I've also been really looking into other careers. Mm-hmm. You know, think like work for the EU stuff like that. Right? Yeah. Um, some people say I usually sure go into business. You know, you talk easily, so you know, you know love <laughs> yeah. that. Um, so I did, but I thought mm, not too sure about that. I did, so I did workshops on that, how to make that transition. And I was sitting there with people like me, and you know, there was all these these business people coming to give lectures, and people were like, "Oh, wow, that's great!" And I was like, uh, "You got to be kidding me, right? You're saying this, but that's not really." You know, they were going on about how. You know, the motto of that company you know was so important to them to join that company. I was like, yeah well, what should they say that you know you want we want to make money over the over the lives of people with heart disease i mean yeah I, I, it didn't resonate with me one bit, and the other aspect of course if you if you're in business, you need to be able to really transition very quickly right? yeah. um and this idea that you know. I would be working on something for months and then you know the CEO comes in and says, Patrick, sorry, your patent has been filed on this and this, yeah. clean up your stuff tomorrow. You work on this. Yeah. But I'd never done I just couldn't yeah. do that. I'm not flexible enough for that. Yeah. Um, so um so then yeah, I just went back because I obviously I knew that teaching was an option, but most most people with a background like me, they end up at a university of applied science. And um, particularly because at the Utrecht Institute and also where I was in London, we didn't have any teaching obligations. So I had no teaching experience whatsoever. Yeah. So just applying at a regular faculty, without any teaching experience for a PI position, that was not going to happen, right? Yeah. And, and most of the people end up in University of Applied Science. And yeah, I've been supervising lots of students always in the lab, master's students, bachelor's students, mm-hmm. also the University of Applied Science. And I was just not sure whether I could really... Uh, yeah, we have to deal with that different lack of motivation. Mm-hmm. I actually applied for uh, for a position at mm-hmm. uh, Eindhoven, the University of Applied Science, so I made it until the final round. So you know, lots of people um, wanted to get the job. So I came to, I was final two. Anyhow, the conversation is really nice. But then, and I didn't get it, and they told me, yeah, we we are in doubt whether you can, yeah, adjust your level to those yeah. students. Yeah. I was like, no, of course I can. But with hindsight, you were absolutely right then.
0: Yeah.
1: And I think uh, you know I, how
0: do they compare in your experience, students who are the university of applied? Oh, well, they're younger,
1: the, you know, they, they have a different background, right? So they yeah. were never among the most motivated students. Maybe yeah. they were motivated themselves, but they were not among the motivated students. So <clears throat> yeah, so they you know they would settle. So if I would do so, yeah, I would be. I have actually taught at the HBO when I started just to get more experience. And I didn't have. And the
0: HBO is the University of Applied oh,
1: yeah. yeah. I did it for a while. So, and then if we were teaching a cloud of 25, five would be motivated. Yeah. Right?
0: Um,
1: so that's the opposite of here. Um, and if I would then do an exam review session, right, where people would come in and I would explain what I did wrong, only the people who had a 5.3 would come because they wanted to get that one extra point to get to them apart. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so for context, in the Netherlands, a five point we have a grading scale from zero to ten and a five point five would be a passing grade. So someone with a five point three usually would come in and need to say, I need point two extra.
1: Yeah, <laughs> no, exactly, right? So so yeah, and I, so my wife at some point also told me, Patrick, please stop there because you know you you get you get demotivated from them. Yeah. Um so I already figured that was already, yeah, uh, that, that could be a problem. Yeah. And but somebody told me, you know, what's for you? So, UCU, that would be something for you. And I, was, I didn't know what UCU was. Yeah. Um, but fortunately, so I so I, you know, I had a chat with some people here, UCU, I contacted them. I, networking helps in that. So I knew some people. Yeah. But I, you know, somebody caught me in touch with some people here. Yeah. And I, you know, I I researched it a bit. I was like, oh my God, yes, that is that is the place for me. Yeah. But there were no teaching positions. And I had no teaching experience. <laughs> so at some point I had a, but there were two, tutor positions came available. Yeah. Um, so, um, so they told me, you know, maybe if you got a tutor position, you can roll into the teaching. Yeah. And I remember yeah. my interview yes. and while well, that was hard work, um, you know, the late Rosemary was interviewing me and she was you know she did it her way which i loved you know i think actually fine But uh, and i was my honest self as i normally as I always am so i walked out there thinking okay that was my ucu uh dream gone but no they actually took a gamble with me and uh yeah and within two weeks i also got a, my first course to teach mm-hmm. and that's how it started and I, I, yeah i've been loving it ever since I, so this i think you know, let it be i let this be a message for the students Sometimes you feel like, you know, how do I get out of this? This is not how I plan things. Yeah. I think, you know, I think I was a good scientist. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But I think I'm even better suited for this. So good things can come out of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Things don't always go the way you want to. And it's careers are not linear. I mean, you know, and sometimes you make a, a wrong choice and then you can still change direction.
1: Yeah, and I think that's what, and I think this, our students have the benefit that, you know, they're already trained to be more flexible, you know, yeah. have more transferable skills. So any transitions that are, they will have to make and they yeah. will have to make them at some point will be much smoother than for people who have, you know, a standard, yeah. standard degree. So
0: Because um, what makes teaching at UCU great.
1: Well, I remember at some point, I uh, you know, when I was really thinking about what I wanted to do, I made a list for myself. You know, what, what in what kind of environment would I be doing best?
0: Yeah,
1: and that was clearly work with motivated people.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, I came back for my wife. I never, I would probably not be living in the, in the Netherlands mm-hmm. if it wasn't for my wife. So this international environment, I always loved. Right, supervising yeah. students from all over the place, working with colleagues from all over, all over the place. Um, so that was really an important element to it. And what I so and the motivation of course is fine. You know, our students are great. Also I, I remember telling my wife you know, after a few months, oh my God, you know, all my colleagues are motivated. they're all nice, they're all very helpful, and um, they're interested, but they're also interesting. And I think that's yeah. another, that's another interesting of well, an important point for me is that so as a scientist, it was me just focusing more now and now or now, or now, right? I, would, I wouldn't read books unless it was a holiday because it would be these piles of articles that I had to go through constantly that was just looking at me and say, hey, us first, right? Yeah. I'd feel guilty if I would read anything. And especially, so I wouldn't just say the teaching, but also the tutoring. I think that combination is really, really powerful. I think being yeah. makes to make sure you a better teacher and vice versa. But as a tutor in particular, also as a teacher at ucu but as a tutor in particular you know you actually get better from bright in your horizons right yeah. so if i watch a documentary or read a book on completely different things i actually get better at my job right so i'm really yeah encouraged to do these type of things so i really feel like you know i'm, I'm catching up on so many things i'm developing myself in so many different ways you know during the corona time i did a you know well i you know, I, I, you know that of course. Um, I took a course, uh, a 12-week course on art history. Yeah. Loved it, right? And yeah. I, it, it really makes me better at my job, I believe.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, uh, it, it's one of the things when I often present UCU abroad and also for the, the webinar that I recorded for UCU. It's really, people think that to get in-depth knowledge, you need to study more of the same stuff. And in my experience, it's the opposite. If you want to understand something more in depth, you need to look at it from different perspective and study different stuff. Um, it's the same way, like if you want to become a good doctor, an art history course can be incredibly useful because it really teaches you to watch carefully. Yeah, no, I,
1: I always recommend our, our you know, pre-med students also need to take religious studies or anthropology or these type of things Well, well, art history. To do things, different. There's a reason why SUMA wants our students to do these things as well. Yeah. <clears throat> and that's what is the reason that you mentioned, right? So um, yeah.
0: You want that, that perspective.
1: And that was also the reason why I wanted to set up this gastronomy course with Aaron yes. Van Sos, of course, mm-hmm. right?
0: Because um, what, what are you doing in that course? It's a summer course that you're teaching together with uh, an econo- economics professor, Aaron Van soss And it's about oh. gastronomy. It's an interdisciplinary course.
1: Yeah. So let's not forget he's a trained chef.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> yes. important element, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, so, 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 I, when I started here, of course, like I said, I didn't have any teaching experience, so I really had to learn on the job very quickly. So I think my first two years were about refocusing. Really you know, so I, I attended a lot of lectures. Other teachers used to, you know, I spoke to a lot of teachers. Uh, you know, watch a lot of um, online lectures just to get better at teaching myself to identify what would work for me, what doesn't. Find my own. My own preferred way of working, which I think all students would agree. Some love, some don't, but it works for me. In yeah. general, in general, it's going fine. Um, but at some point, I wanted to actually develop myself, also indeed, in different ways. And I, but I noticed that yes, I could watch it on the documentary. But if you're not really discussing it with anybody, yeah. there's no really incentive to really do something with it afterwards. Yeah. It just remains superficial. Um, so then I start thinking, what? Yeah, what would fit for me? And I noticed that, you know, in in my molecular biology courses, when things get really complicated, it's always easy to to turn to food, yeah. have to relate to food. So I noticed that if I explain things with food, everybody's interested because yeah. I relate to it. And so that really worked. I thought, hey, I have to do something with it. So first, I was thinking about maybe doing. Oh, and then you know, of course, humanities and social science students didn't really have these. These all these lab modules, right? that The science teachers were like, "Hey, maybe it's interesting to do, let's say, a lab module about these type of things, right? So molecular cooking, those type of things." But yeah, that was you know that was not enough. And then there was a call uh, for um, yeah new ideas, uh, and hours would be dedicated to it, right? So okay. <laughs> And that was on a Tuesday afternoon. I vividly remember. And I sat down on the train. I live in Ainto. So I travel yeah. up and down and all that. Everything. Um, I was in the train. And I wrote in those 45 minutes. I wrote, what can I do with this? Yeah. And I was like, "Okay, oh, this is way out of, my, out of my league. I can never do this by myself. Yeah. I can do the science part. I would love to do that also. Yeah. But yeah. I have a PhD in neuroscience. So I could do the neuroscience. Although now we have Gabriel Beckers. So we do a much better job than I could ever do. But still, I was like, okay, yeah. you know let's do it but I you know we really I mean I can never do this by myself and then I emailed Aaron and he was like oh yes I get so excited about this and we sat down, and you know immediately was like oh my god you know Aaron's going to make this course so much better than I could ever do it myself so yeah and you just once you when you have to talk to Aaron about food you know you never stop, and Aaron has this amazing ability to make associations. It's yeah. it's so impressive, right? He can connect anything. So so then that, that's when we really got this idea. No no, what we we want this to be a, a sort of introduction to interdisciplinary thinking, right? So because a lot of there were of course interdisciplinary courses already, but they were aimed at the third third year, right? Because yeah. there is a general idea, which you know, I, which I think Aaron and I agree with that you really want to do proper interdisciplinary research, you have to be well Yeah. But what we don't agree with is that we would wait with really interdisciplinary, promoting interdisciplinary thinking and showing the value of it um, until that year, right? Why not yeah. do that earlier? So that's why we came up with this idea to do it this way. So basically what we do in the first three weeks, we approach gastronomy and food from all kinds of different things, so yeah. you know, art history, philosophy, biology, obviously, economics, marketing, um, law, geography, uh, what well, neuroscience, of course, so all these different, you know, different aspects. So that everybody is on a certain level, and then the final two weeks are really about interdisciplinary topics. Yeah. So uh, and questions. So this this week that we're now. The, now it's really about what makes us really eat you know because it's clearly not just nutrition right otherwise we would be eating really different things right so um so so that's what we're dealing with this 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 week and next week we're very very much about what's the future of food because that so there's so many aspects of it and these are really interdisciplinary issues yeah that's what they're working on now I think that it sounds
0: really interesting
1: project um, which we're really excited about now as well so they're, they're, they're pro- i think i can announce them i think it would be fine with that and students so what they're now working on and that's a final uh, project the, where they all have to you know mm-hmm. they have to come up with a proposal basically how to make dining hall great again right oh wow know, used to be this yeah. important social hub yeah. but i think we as tutors certainly notice Yeah, that with you know we understand why the kitchenettes were introduced, and we understand that there were problems with dining hall. But I think we all agree that students are now missing out.
0: Yeah, it's had a negative effect on on social cohesion. It's made it harder for people to find their people. Exactly. Um, right. so, it, it's had, yeah, it, it's definitely reverberated and had a lot of negative consequences.
1: Exactly. So, in that project, you know, that's much more than just about food, right? Yeah. It's about economics. It's about how students behave. It's about what students like. It's how you present yeah. things, about what they want to eat, about having diversity, cultural elements, and yeah. all these things. So, that's the, the final project where they have to bring all these things together that they've they had learned and really show that they can apply it. Yeah especially when we're relocating, of course, yeah. I think even more important that we think about this carefully. yeah, um, In a holistic way, what would be a good proposal? How should we approach this? Yeah. So that's, that's
0: amazing. We
1: yeah. and, uh, so should, well, Scott, managing director, yeah. will be there to listen. And they have to that's great. This because, you know, when you know, I have all faith in the committee who is in charge of the relocation, yeah. but here are 22 students who are, you know so well prepared yeah i'll actually look at this from a holistic view yeah. and actually get time for it to yeah. do this properly so we're really really excited about what they're going to come up with
0: that sounds amazing that's really cool
1: and what we got from two years ago in the feedback was really that uh you know obviously that was fun and all that yeah um, frankly it was a bit too easy that was also feedback so we made it a bit harder now but I think I still think it's very doable. But yeah. And, but but the, what they really appreciated is indeed this interdisciplinarity that, you know, that it was never mil- that was always multifaceted, whatever we were yeah. discussing. And some said, you know, had I known this, I, my curriculum might have looked different.
0: Oh, wow. But, so yeah.
1: really, they realized, hey, also oh, this is what this interdisciplinarity can really do. Yeah. So that's what we're really happy with. And that seems to be what, what we set out to do. Because you yeah. know. So it's now gastronomy, but that could also be a course on any interdisciplinary topic, yeah. music, it could be happiness, it could be yeah. aging, whatever. So um, so yeah, now it's gastronomy and it's great. Um uh, we're loving it, uh, teaching it as well. So um, yeah, no, it's a really nice addition. And also like it next to my bio to have yeah. something like this. And this really promotes me and really thinking about other disciplines well. Right? And I'm learning every time from the guest lectures, you know, I also do the homework. For every yeah. lecture instead of just my own and um, yeah so that's great yeah
0: okay hey, thank you so much for your time
1: yeah thanks you for great listening time. to me uh.
0: <laughs> yeah thank you so much and uh, i hope everything goes well next week
1: yeah no that would be nice you know i hope it's something that will be followed up but that would be of course the really the best thing um, that would be a good sign that they really have an amazing job so we'll see absolutely thank you all right bye-bye